You know one of the best things about having a secret? It's that overwhelming desire you feel that you just can't wait to tell somebody. Well, today's guest tells us about her secrets to resilience, and you won't want to miss this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 121 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and in this episode, I'm joined by Kristen Torres, a resilience professional with over 20 years in both public and private sector, with a wide range of competency, including business resilience, crisis management, IT disaster recovery, and even medical response. In this episode, Kristen and I talk about five secrets of the resilience industry, including better reporting, change management, and data integration, and listen to hear how mindset and attitude round out the list of the secrets of resilience. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Uh, Start off by introducing yourself and giving us a little bit about your background, please. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here. So first of all, I'm a mother and a wife. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. And I've lived in five countries by the time I was 16. So another label I use is third culture kid. (laughs) And I currently live in Toulouse, France with my family. Uh, I worked in the public sector initially in the United States for nine years for the federal and county level governments and law enforcement and emergency management more generally. And I switched to the private sector about 11 years ago. And I've worked for international companies in aviation and defense, primarily in corporate crisis management, physical and international security, business continuity, and then resilience more generally. There's so much there. Uh, I love it when the introduction just leads me to like 15 follow-up questions. I'm going to try to have some discipline and stick to what we had said we were going to talk about. But um, I am going to go off script like, what's this, 30 seconds in. Um, Okay. You said something there that I really, really like, because I do the same thing. You talked about business continuity and crisis management. Now, you come from a background where there's you know, crisis management. We're going to get into that. Do you find that it's an advantage to you in your business continuity work to also have that crisis management component? Like, Do you look at things a little bit more holistically because of that? I think it's definitely helpful to have had experience in the different functions, uh, mainly because of language, just being able to speak uh, a common language with with different professionals working in business continuity, crisis management, IT disaster recovery, uh, and so on. Uh, I also think that it's helpful to recognize the connection points more quickly Uh, to be able to point people um, in ways uh, that maybe they didn't originally think about because I've had the the different experiences. Yes. So, so I think it makes you more complete. Uh, It just gives you a more holistic view of uh, everything because you're looking at it from, from multiple angles. You're not just thinking about a business continuity approach, for example. And I like what you said about the language too, because it really does matter as far as, communicating potential impact or identification of threats. There's just so much there to unpack. Uh, I really like what you said there. Thanks, Mark. Either more complete or more confused. Sometimes I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, There are so many different directions we could go with this podcast because you mentioned multiple backgrounds, public sector, private sector. You talked about working in different countries. So we could talk about things from a, a cultural perspective. But I think all of that really leads to something 
that you put in your profile on LinkedIn, which I found to be just absolutely fascinating. And that's where I want to go with it. You said you're on a journey to find the secrets of resilience. Like, I love that. I just like fell in love with that right <laughs> off the bat. First of all, it makes you a perfect guest for the Resilient Journey podcast. But what's the goal here? And what are some of the secrets that you've uncovered so far? Well, first, I'll, I'll start by saying, well, I, I included in my introduction some labels. I didn't want to just put a label or a few labels in the LinkedIn profile. So I wanted to come up with something that uh, was maybe more uh, descriptive as to where my mental state is today. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went with that statement. But I, I recently read a, about a study where we where it says that we spend almost 50% of our time as human beings thinking about the past and the future instead of focusing on the present, which mm -hmm. actually leads to increased unhappiness. So uh, what, it, what I read is that if we shift our focus from the goal to the journey, the mindset completely changes. And so instead of focusing on a big end goal to be realized sometime in the future, you lay out smaller bite-sized steps that you can act on today. So the trek is where we learn and grow. So I guess you could say my goal is growth and continuous learning and thereby happiness. Uh, but I'm less focused on the, the goal and, and committed to this quote unquote journey. I am um, actually, there's a, a quote and I actually have this tattooed on myself, which is not all who wonder are lost. And uh, I strongly believe in that. Uh, so you asked about some secrets. So the reason why I use the word secret is sometimes I think you know, people have knowledge and not everybody else has. So it's about uncovering that that hidden knowledge. But uh, I'll highlight three observations, Mark. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd call them secrets, but uh, some, some three observations. Okay. So going back to the concept of mindset, uh, I've discovered that, uh, that this is one of the quote-unquote secrets about resilience is that Sure, it's a combination of tools and processes and resources that we can leverage um, in, in building resilience to anticipate, protect, prevent, react, and recover. But I actually believe it's a mindset, so agility, patience, transparency, that allows us to ultimately thrive, which is what I think really sets resilience apart from, you know, your typical crisis management or business continuity. And this is the hardest, though, <laughs> Uh, thing or facet of resilience to put into place and practice and, and requires deliberate change management. So it's the hardest thing perhaps uh, to achieve, but I think one of the most important. Uh, I also have found that measurements are key. So resilience must be measured on a regular basis. This allows you to identify trends and have the awareness of when your resilience is down so you can compensate. And when I say down, I actually often think about resilience like one's immunity. So mm -hmm. if you know you're tired uh, because you've been working a lot and not sleeping much, or like myself, have two kids under the age of eight, uh, you then maybe need to take, make sure you're taking your vitamins, right? You need to compensate for, for that kind of lower level of immunity or resilience. Same can be applied, I think, to a community or a company. Uh, and lastly, uh, I found humility to be a key, the willingness and ability to fail and learn from that failure. So this, actually by living and working in other cultures, I've learned that this can be very culturally specific. Some cultures have a very low risk uh, or a very um, 
low level of risk uh, and therefore failure tolerance. But practically speaking, in a corporate culture, this can be associated with identifying opportunities, which I think are just as important as identifying risks. I think you've uh, uncovered a, a fourth one, and maybe it's uh, uh, subconscious and you and you haven't thought to articulate it yet, but that is the adaptability of the different things that you've been involved in, whether it's cultural differences or uh, public sector, private sector, things like that, or even within the same role. Uh, would you agree with that as well? 100%, yes. So I want to go back to... Um, something that you said in each of the three secrets that you shared, uh, you talked about under mindset, kind of shifting things from, it's not just about tools and a combination of tools and processes. You talked about agility and patience and transparency, but you referenced deliberate change management. You know, a lot mm. of times we think about change management in IT systems and, oh, we're doing an upgrade and, you know, the developers are doing this work and there's all this different thing but we don't necessarily think about change management in our own professional development. Can you elaborate a little bit on what that looks like? I didn't know that change management was actually uh, uh, an official skill or um, knowledge base that, uh, that my colleagues have. We have an entire team actually dedicated to change management. I think that's crucial for a growing organization or even community. Um, and, and these uh, professionals have unique skills uh, to accompany you if you're building something new, to guide you in how best to communicate with stakeholders, for instance, mm. uh, how best to communicate um, your vision uh, to leadership um, and to not only communicate, but also to solicit and to seek input from others. So they bring, they give you these tools to, to accompany you, I would say, in, in your journey if you're building something new, whether it's a resilience program or, or whether you have a new project. Well, what, one of the things that jumped out at me on that is that we think about, particularly as we go from an organization maybe that doesn't have anything around business continuity management or crisis management, it is a huge culture shift. And one of the most difficult things for any of us to do is to change culture. Yes. And so when we think about change management, it's not only the practice of all of the things that we know how to do. We know how to do yeah. BIAs. We know how to write plans. We know how to run exercises, but it's this, it's a deliberate soft skill that is like a bolt on to all of that to help communicate the need for this change and for the, the messaging, right? Absolutely. Building that buy-in, the um, desire to uh, to continue building the, the message and uh, and the case for change. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's massively missing from our industry. I really, really do. I think that that's something that we don't talk anywhere near enough about. The second thing you talked about was measuring resilience. And at first I thought you were talking maybe a little about, about personal resilience, but towards the end of your answer, you talked about corporate or company-wide resilience. What are some things that you found to be valuable when it comes to measuring the effectiveness of the resilience of an organization? 
That is a uh, a question that could probably take this entire conversation as well in terms of time, uh, because I think it really depends on what are the uh, objectives of, if you're going for company resilience, what are the company's objectives? And you can look to the objectives and then see how, you know, if you're achieving them. Um, but I think it needs to be ultimately connected to the objectives, the vision, the strategy of a company. Before you can identify the metrics or KPIs, you have to understand that clearly. Uh, I think, you know, typically of those of us in our in our business think about metrics, number of plans you've completed, number of exercises you've completed, number of BIAs you've completed. I think those are the traditional methods, but uh, I'm not saying those are those methods should go or those metrics should go away, but I think that we need to go one step further. And um, it's not so much how many exercises you've completed, but maybe, okay, how many uh, in the hot wash or in your after action report, how many improvements did you identify and have you followed up with those improvements? Um, that's just one example I can think of, Mark. I agree with you. I think the idea of how many BIAs did we do, how many plans did we update, how many exercises did we run would be the equivalent of measuring a child's academics by saying, well, how many days were they in school? Exactly. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Sometimes, you know, in the States, I think it was 180 days is the school year. <laughs> you could have a kid that goes to school 180 days and, you know, frankly, not learn a damn thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then you can exactly. have a, a child who uh, is maybe is a little bit more uh, gifted or maybe more in tuned and maybe they had some health problems and they went 150 days in the year and we could measure them completely different. And we do measure them different. We don't, we don't judge or grade students based on the number of days they're in school. We, we have tests and we have grading mechanisms and things like that. And again, you seem to be really onto a trend here. This is something that seems to be missing from the industry. So I, I really, mm -hmm. really like what you said there. And then the third secret that you talked about was humility. Uh, and I really like that. I see myself as um, a collaborator. I feel like I can work with almost anyone. Um, and as a matter of fact, we're just coming off a two-part episode where we talked about developing a pirate code and one of the things that's in my pirate code is being willing to collaborate with almost anyone. And I think one of the secrets to good collaboration is humility. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yes. And 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 being sincere. I think that's how you build the trust as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I want to tie back into some of the things we talked about from your background. You have a strong incident management background. Uh, you started off as an EMT. Is that, do I understand that right? Uh, well, I, 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 uh, I would say that my first experience as a uh, first responder was as an EMT, as a volunteer EMT, but I actually got into the, the emergency management field, uh, I would think in a unique way. It was as an intelligence analyst working for the federal government and those skills, uh, when I applied for a local emergency management agency because of a personal move, uh, I was moving from the East Coast to the Midwest, they found those, uh, that, that capability, those capabilities attractive uh, and, and we're building a local fusion center. So I, I got into emergency management with an intel background, oddly, 
but quickly found that having that first responder experience, I was an emergency manager, but uh, working directly with the fire department as a volunteer a few years later uh, was extremely valuable. I want to talk about that intelligence work that you did, because I'm wondering how much of that you continue to do in this sort of cross-functional role of crisis management, business continuity, IT, DR, and things like that. We collect a whole lot of data. And another thing, I guess, that's missing, I think, from our industry is I think we collect the data and we use just a small portion of it. So how much of that intelligence background are you using in your role now? I think that it's even if I wasn't even aware of it and you asking this question is making me reflect on it. And I'm I'm realizing that it's actually been a thread throughout my career uh, and continues to be the, the process of collecting information, assessing and then uh, prioritizing the information as well, and then sharing it, communicating it with stakeholders. I mean, that's just the, the you know, a day-to-day process, quite frankly. So for those of you keeping score at home listening, uh, Kristen, you came in with three known secrets. We've added two since, uh, <laughs> since you got here. We talked about adaptability and now data intelligence. Uh, when you were doing this back in the day, what, what, what was the context of it? What kind of data intelligence work were you doing? Uh, well, I started out uh, in the federal government um, and I was looking at, uh, uh, I was mainly in the carnal narcotics field actually, uh, and pulling in information about and connecting uh, people to organizations and connecting organizations to financing. And, and so it was really on the um, enforcement side, law enforcement side of uh, counter narcotics. And so now in today's world, we think about data intelligence in terms of business continuity, resilience, crisis management, Uh, you're still connecting dots. And that's really what it comes down to, right? Um, What kind of things are we looking at? Systems that are used by business functions? uh, You know, give a practical example of how you might connect some of those dots and how it might be useful to either an executive leadership team that might be dealing with a crisis or in a business continuity setting? Uh, I think uh, another key and practical um, capability within an organization or even a community, so public or private, is a strong uh, risk management system or framework. And uh, that requires uh, data uh, where you you know, pull in information from a variety of sources uh, and then you assess and you identify vulnerabilities and you're connecting threats, pairing threats and vulnerabilities, and then ultimately coming up with some treatments for those those risks if you elevate and prioritize those risks. So uh, I think that uh, these are, are key um, processes where, you know, if you identify a risk, then a business continuity plan is perhaps a mitigation for that risk for example, or uh, your crisis management team, uh, you know, you have it in a particular place because they're uh, making sure that you're managing, maybe it's a natural hazard risk in a particular place. So you make sure your crisis management team is, is prepared to, to, to manage that um, risk that will ultimately materialize because it's a natural hazard. You know, you're 
doing a really good job in this episode talking about things that take traditional business continuity to the next level, right? We talked about better reporting. We talked about a different mindset, the whole change management, the, if you will, the marketing of the resilience mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, this, this whole data integration is something that I've really tried to do. I just uh, showed some cross-reference data to uh, uh, the CEO of a client of mine this morning. And, you know, he was really struck by it. He was was quite impressed with the level of detail that was there and how useful it can be uh, during a crisis situation. So thanks for kind of validating some of the work that I'm doing, <laughs> but using some practical examples like you just did. Y your entry into this field kind of reminds me of almost everybody else I talk to in that there isn't just a single path into resilience, is there? I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways that people can, can become proficient in this space. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the reasons I love this field is because you work uh, and communicate with people from all different backgrounds on a daily basis. Yeah. I want to shift gears here a little bit and let's talk about 2024. At the time of this recording, we're coming up on, um, almost coming up on Valentine's Day. And uh, I, I regret to tell you, I didn't get you anything for Valentine's Day. <laughs> I got you the just same thing time. I got you last year when I didn't know you, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> Well, just uh, this time is present enough, Mark, so you're good. There you go. Wow, you are good at this. Those of us who are in crisis management, uh, risk management was another thing you just mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm we always need to be aware of these emerging threats, don't we? What has been sort of the focus of your attention as we think about 2024 and the rest of the year that's ahead? Yeah, I, I think, um, uh, you know, it's it's having that crystal ball, right? And none of us has the 100% certainty as to how we're reading that crystal ball, but having, we've talked about today, you know, the connections, the stakeholders, the data inputs to help you to uh, clarify that crystal ball. But I, I don't think I'm unique, Mark, in, in the topics that, that I'm, I'm interested in or reading about today. I mean, obviously ge geopolitical and economic uncertainty is, is a, a main theme that many of us in our, um, field are looking at this year in particular i read somewhere that over 50 national or regional elections are happening globally this year uh you know obviously the united states has a national election and in other countries as well uh, with cascading Im impacts i mean the continued conflicts in europe and middle east new regulations as well so again um, i don't think i'm unique in, in that focus uh, logistics, transportation with the Red Sea, Suez Canal, Panama Canal. Again, uh, there's a lot of commentary on on the prog prognostics for for where that's going to go. Uh, environmental. I mentioned uh, you know natural hazards. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that as as a focus too. We're we're constantly looking at the impacts of climate change. And lastly. Technological, uh, you know, cybersecurity. Uh, this is a focus for, for many at this time. And uh, AI, which, right. you know, is an interesting uh, topic as well. Is it a risk or opportunity or both? I think only time will tell. So again, kind of continuing on with the common theme here that I don't think enough people in our industry are doing some of these things. How much are you seeing 
And what advice would you give to our colleagues about expanding our continuity programs to think about these emerging threats that you've talked about? I think that it's imperative to continue to improve uh, any sort of business continuity program. So you know, you can do your BIAs, you can write your business continuity plans. If you're thinking more broadly resilience, you know, you can train your crisis management teams and whatever methodology you've chosen to employ. But uh, we can't continue to get better until you're aware of what's what's happening either in the world or even in our industry when it comes to frameworks. I was that's how I connected with your podcast, Mark. I was listening to one of your podcasts. Um, where uh, you were talking about, you know, is BIAs uh, the, mm. you know, should, should they still be used as, um, as a tool? And just think another way of thinking about our industry, uh, you know, I just really, really appreciated Mark's, the other Mark, Mark Armour's uh, perspective on that. Yeah. And so I think it's important that we as an industry, if we want to keep getting better, uh, is to continually, re continuously read and, about what's going on in the world, but also in our industry. It is time, BIA is notwithstanding, it is time for us in the industry to look at things differently. And we've mm -hmm. pointed out four or five of those things here today, right? Reporting and change management and so forth. We can tie some of this together as we are talking about emerging risks and change management and the messaging that we use as we build our programs it all leads to, I think, one very important thing. And I'd like you to give me your thoughts on it. And that is too many people in our industry are viewed as not adding value, that the resilience program mm -hmm. doesn't add value. But I think if we do the things that we've talked about today, better communication through change management, uh, the adaptability, the better measurement, the integration of emerging threats, that can only lead to better value of our programs. Tell me what you think about that. I completely agree, Mark. And I've struggled with this uh, throughout my career, quite frankly. I think all of us in this industry have. Of, uh, we, we sell insurance. So uh, how do we do that more effectively? Um, how do we make it sexier? How do we... Uh, especially as cost centers, right? In the public, in the private sector, we're identified as cost centers. So we don't make money; we, we cost yeah. money. But I think we need to we need to flip that narrative, and and demonstrate how we actually save money, how we bring that bring the value. Uh, and I think that starts with us seeing our own value too, and really truly understanding the business. And this is. I would say uh, a lesson that I've learned uh, more recently, actually, is uh, I can be an expert or, you know, a subject matter expert in crisis management or business continuity or, or resilience. But until I understand my customer, whether that's a community that I'm serving or a business, if I'm supporting uh, business uh, resilience within a company, then I'm not going to be effective in my job and I'm not going to be able to, to sell it to, to my leadership. So for me, that's been really important and comes back to one of the secrets, which is being, um, which is having humility. I love that. All right. We're going to uh, shift focus again here. So you've had the opportunity, maybe you're speaking to a large crowd, they announce your name. And as you're walking to the podium, you get to choose 
your walk-up music, your the song that's played as you're walking to the podium. What song do you pick and why? Well, I'd like it to be upbeat and fun, uh, of course. And I'm a big Shakira fan. Um, so I'd say that the song is called Try Everything. Uh, it's actually, now you know, again, that I have children. It's from the movie Zootopia, which I highly recommend as a great movie to watch. But the, but the song itself uh, really resonates with me as a resilience professional because it talks about no one learns without getting it wrong. You keep falling down, but you always get up. You see what's next. You're not going to give up. You're not going to give in. Um, and, and then lastly, the message that I love about this song is that uh, she says, don't beat yourself up. No need to run so fast. Sometimes we come last, but we did our best. And so I think as resilience professionals, we need to uh, not always seek perfection, but uh, seek excellence. And I feel like this is one of those songs that really uh, pushes that message. I love that. Uh, Kristen, it's been amazing having you on the podcast. We learned some secrets today and uh, I'm looking forward to staying in touch. How can people connect with you? Thanks so much, Mark. I really enjoyed the conversation. It went by so quickly. Uh, I'm always yeah. happy to connect. Uh, please find me on LinkedIn. I think that's a great space to connect. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mark. I want to thank Kristen Torres for being my guest this week and telling us about some of the secrets of resilience. And frankly, I don't think uh, enough of us in the industry are doing some of the things that she talked about. The Resilient Journey podcast is a Resilience Think Tank production. And speaking of the Resilience Think Tank, you may have just heard our major announcement that we are partnering with DRJ. That means Resilience Think Tank members now get a 10% discount off of registration at DRJ Spring. So go to resiliencethinktank.com slash membership to learn more. We have another great guest lined up next week, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. I missed up tonight. I lost another fight.